Welcome to the Maintainable Software Podcast, where we speak with seasoned practitioners who have helped organizations work past the problems often associated with technical debt and legacy code. I'm your host, Robbie Russell. On this episode, we're joined by Susan Bond, who is a leadership coach. Susan was previously a CEO at Travis CI and has been coaching new leaders in our industry for several years. Susan Bond, we're so glad to have you on Maintainable. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. So for our listeners, this is going to be a slightly different type of conversation in the sense that we're not going to be digging into characteristics of well-maintained software code. And I want to talk a little bit more with Susan in particular, because I know that she works with a lot of leaders and people in the tech industry and and other industries as well, but on helping them navigate changes in their career as they grow into different positions and such. And so Susan, for your your knowledge, my audience tends to be a spectrum of there's junior people, junior developers that are listening to, you know, people that have like are senior or staff engineers on teams or even CTOs at times. So it's a wide range of different types of people and people that we have on the podcast and are listening. But what I wanted to do was talk a little bit about how developers, in particular, based on your experience, having worked at different organizations in the tech space, and, and then you're a project manager, you've been you worked in marketing, you've been a COO, you've you know been a coach for a lot of people, you spend a lot of time doing that, I believe, these days. And so I thought it'd be an interesting way to have like an open conversation with you, with the community that's actually not here to ask their own questions, but I'll do my best to try to ask questions on their behalf. So first of all, what do you believe are a few common indicators that you are growing in your career? Mm. Gosh, I'm going to say one that might sound funny, but discomfort. If you feel comfortable all the time, that is an indication to me that you're maybe not taking enough risks or you're not pushing into new areas because when we're growing, growing always means we're a little bit uncomfortable. And that, and I, I think that goes for code to also interpersonal aspects of your career. So I would say discomfort is one of the biggest. That's an indicator that you're growing. You, when you, when you feel like also when you feel like you don't know everything, right? Oh, I don't, I don't know that. That's actually a good sign. I think a lot of times we think discomfort's bad, or I don't know the answer to that, <gasps> especially developers. I feel like sometimes we think like we're supposed to know things, especially as we get further along in our career. And maybe even actually, even as a junior, I, I was silent. We feel like we're supposed to know things, but not knowing is actually a, a growth edge and a place where you can challenge yourself. Do you think that the responsibility, like thinking people that might be listening, thinking, oh, I'm not growing, I'm not feeling discomfort or maybe there's a certain level of comfort or, you know, they're not taking risks and such. They're kind of maybe feeling like they're a little on autopilot with their job at the moment. Is it the responsibility of the their manager and the organization to help make them feel discomfort or is there, or is there a responsibility also on the individual level to be looking at ways to navigate that? I think it's actually on both sides. You know, I think um, managers and leaders need to look at folks and, and say, are they growing? And and my opinion is that that should be part of their role is to help their folks grow, because when folks grow, you add capacity to them and to the team. I also think that we need to take responsibility for ourselves just as human beings to keep growing. You know what I mean? So I do think it's it's both sides of that equation. And certainly if one side of that equation is not working, that's actually a problem because a manager can't push you to grow if you're not willing. And if, you know, if you're trying to grow, but your manager isn't helping or is actively getting in your way, more importantly, 
that's going to be a problem. I mean, you can grow on your own on the side and do as much as you can, but I actually think both sides of that equation are super important. I, okay, I'm always thinking about even my own. I'll, I'm going to try, try my best to be vulnerable in this conversation and, and share. <laughs> so I know that there's people that have worked with, with me and my team here over the years that might have felt like, oh, I'm always worried that they're either going to, we're going to need to grow at a certain rate in our own skill set, or they're going to outgrow us potentially, or how do we keep up a certain level of growth as an organization so that they can also see, not just in terms of like having promotional promotions and seeing like there's other tiers to their their particular role and see a career path here, but making sure that they're getting the opportunity to extend and learn new things and such. But there's also, you know, as a manager of people over the years, I've seen people get comfortable and really like, well, this is what I'm really good at. I don't, and they get nervous about the idea that the organization might evolve or change. And so there ends up being this weird challenge of trying to navigate like, well, you have some advice for people like me that might be trying to figure out how to have a good, uh, a productive conversation with people like that, that are like, why are we trying to extend ourselves further? Like, isn't what we're doing work really good for us right now? And then why would we want to change that? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it can be a challenge. And for me, listen, people will, I mean, I'm, my background is psychology and sociology. So, you know, I'm going to go to that angle. But I think for me, it's about trying to understand what's underneath it. Because I think that, so funny, one of my husband's really good friend was talking about his career. And he said, you know, I put the burner on medium and I just left it there. And he like, he totally knew we put the, the burner on medium and he liked it. And he was happy because his interests were outside of work and he was happy. He doesn't work in tech. He works in the publishing industry. And I just loved when he said that, that anecdote always, I always remember that. I think that, that for those who are not, let's say they're comfortable it could be that they're that that they're putting energy outside of the office and and maybe that's okay and you know perfectly fine and you know all of those things i don't think that everyone has to be all in on their career however if there's somebody where you think there's extra capacity there and there's something you know what i mean like i think for me what it is is like well i would want to get at what's underneath that what's what's the thing underneath it is it control? Is it perfectionism? Is it imposter syndrome? And not that you have to be a psychologist, but you can at least try to understand, hey, so what's that about? Asking those open-ended questions to understand what's what's happening for them and why don't they want to explore X, Y, or Z? What's happening for them? Because who knows what the reason might be. There might be multiple reasons that we're misdiagnosing. Hmm. That's interesting. I think... uh... Coincidentally, this week we've uh, hired a new engineering manager for the majority of uh, the developers on our team now. And for the last couple of, several couple of years, I was like, playing interim engineering manager. So uh, I'm going through this fun, interesting, I guess, role shift now. I'm also the CEO of the company. We're like we're a what, 13 person company, so it's not like we're a huge company by any means. But I've had a very direct connection to a number of people on the team, from junior developers to our senior developers one-on-ones, those all ended this week. And so I'm going through this fun, interesting challenge of being like, oh, how can I still relate to them? How do I still, how do I make sure they still feel like they have access to me? Given that I'm, I'm realizing I'm turning this in my own like little coaching session because it just <laughs> happened to happen this week when we got this scheduled. Let's so, do it. Let's uh, do, do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> but there is, but there is this interesting thing now where I'm like, I, I'm afraid that the team's going to feel like they've lost connect, a connection with me because I think they've, to some degree, at least they seemed that they've told me that they enjoy having my one-on-ones with me and, and talking about these things and they like having access to me, but my, my role is going to shift a lot more. So 
and they have someone new. So I'm like trying to like figure out how to be really good, make sure we help set up the new person to be successful because they they came in, we brought them in from the outside. So we're also, this is the COVID time and we we're, we've historically always been in the studio together and now we're all working at home. And so it's for someone we've ever hired a in particular manager type role remotely and figuring out what that's going to look like. And so I know you've, you've been working in a distributed capacity for a long time yourself. And so you've, you have, I've, I've heard you talk about this stuff in the past about how thinking about how that's actually not a bad thing to put, like, if you can actually make that work as an organization and have a, a manager that's remote work, even when we're all, I guess right now we're all remote, but anyways, getting back to the main point of the, uh, how I've been navigating these some of those kind of like internal struggles of being like, okay, I'm, I'm passing over the baton to someone else. I want to make sure that they have success. I want to make sure that they, I'm not going to step on their toes by providing too much access from people to come directly to me for things, but while also making sure that I don't just completely feel like I'm abandoning them. Be like, well, I'm now going to go focus on some other projects and other initiatives for the organization. So do you have any advice for me on how to not interfere too much, I suppose? Yeah, it's that balance between how do I make sure I don't abandon them and yet also not interfere, <laughs> right? Like, like I want them to feel like I'm just gone. And that connection, especially at that level and what's going on, listen, these are complex times. There's a, you know, leaders are dealing with so much complexity. I mean, so are all people, but we're talking about a leader right now. So, you know, every worker is dealing with complexity with COVID and the move moves. It, everyone is. It's interesting because... Maybe this is very obvious, but um, I was just talking with C- with the CEO about expectations and making sure we're setting expectations and setting up the relationship. So for me, all of that really starts with the relationship between you and that engineering manager and you talking about lines of communication and who, what do they come to me for and how do we want to present ourselves to the rest of the company. I mean, again, it's 13 people, so it's small, but still it's about, um, I always talk about, we have to talk about the talking. We have to talk about how we're going to communicate and, and having those maybe uncomfortable, awkward conversations that, that I think sometimes we think, I just want to get to the work. Okay. Now what's the strategic plan and what are the OKRs and which is really important. And my advice is that the two of you make sure that you connect on and talk about that hey, listen, here's what I'm facing. I don't want them to feel abandoned, but I also don't want to get in your way. Yeah, and I've had had a couple conversations. Like, so today's day five on the job for them, right? And so uh, I think it was like our first or second day we we had that conversation. It was interesting when I was, I shared that I was feeling really nervous about like, oh, tomorrow's gonna be my last one-on-one with, them, you know, with, with the one, with, you know, I was having a, like, we were also debating, when do I pass over the one-on-ones or not? Right. And do we do that? We wait a little while, do we do it immediately? And we ended up agreeing, like, let's do it right away. Let's just rip the bandaid off and start giving people access to, so they, they can start fostering a relationship. There's no reason to delay that. We knew that, that he was, he was going to be starting soon. So we were able to prep the team for that. So, but one of the conversations we, you know, I brought up was, you know, with him was, all right, so I'm with, this is the one part of the role that I'm going to miss the most. And so and I think that people enjoyed being, having that access with me and we were us having conversations every few weeks, uh, on a consistent level. It was interesting because they were like, Oh wow. Like I hadn't even occurred to me that that might be something. And then the feedback that I've had yesterday was like, Oh, like you probably want to come up with some way to still find time to interact. So I don't know if it's like moving to maybe like a one, like a, I think normally if it wasn't like in this COVID time, we would be like, all right, I'm going to do lunches, lunches with people, things like that, you know, but go to the coffee shop every once in a while. But 
it's a different feels like it, things are different now. So, but anyways, I just thought I would share there's some interesting things. They are, but I think it's smart, by the way. That is smart. Yay that you had that conversation. Lots of people don't actually. So super smart, but also that's true. How do you keep that connection and find it? And that's great that that already that, that engineering manager was like, oh, well, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't have that perspective that, you know, so that's sounds like you two are off to a good start. <laughs> I like to think so. And... <laughs> And we've also had conversations about how we're going to communicate as a team and like the things that I would normally maybe communicate. I'm like, oh, I should probably talk with you about this and like which one of us makes sense. And like maybe that should come from you now. So people have that expectation that you're taking over these things and maybe in a a certain level, like showing that you're actually getting your head wrapped around some of these things and you're being part of it. You're taking ownership of things in your first few days. It's different than when we bring in a software developer on the team where we're always trying to figure out how do we help them show that they were able to contribute to the code or to the to the projects that we're working on as quickly as possible so they can not just be like, oh, what am I going to work on my first thing? And kind of, you know, if, hopefully it's, we want to have that kind of turnaround for people like, oh, I'm making a useful contribution within a few days, if not sooner. Uh, we don't want that to be extended. And so thinking about that, how that can, a similar pattern can work for managers, I think is probably a good idea as well. So in terms of uh, let's the thinking about people listening. So it's not just about Robbie, what he needs right now in his career. But uh, <laughs> there is a, you know, there's a, I know the things we've, you've talked a lot about is, you know, you're working with people that are probably more often in more of a leadership role at this point in their career. But for people that are like looking long term and they're in the like junior mid level of their career and they're thinking about their career ladder and there's different ways you can approach this. And there's people that might gravitate to, oh, at one point I'm going to manage a team of developers. Versus being no, I really like coding, and I really, I think you know, it's just, I think there's a natural tendency for people to think like eventually you become a manager of people, but then you're not necessarily getting to focus a lot of your time on the technical problems. And so, for people that are earlier on in the career, do you think that's something they that should be thinking about that early, or is that something they should be thinking about as they get into their more senior level roles and be like, okay, where's that that fork in the road at some point where I need to make a decision? Or they might not even be thinking that there actually is a decision to make that's just like, well, obviously I'm going to manage people at some point. And then I, then I can spend more of the, my time making all the right technical decisions. But I, don't, I think you probably share the opinion that that's not actually what you do in that scenario when you become a, an engineering manager versus, a, say, an individual contributor on a project. Yeah, I mean, I never think there's a wrong time for introspection. I will always tell people introspection is good. I mean, I think like when you're for the early days of, let's say, being, you know, an earlier developer, like where I want to go might be a little bit, you know, in the early days, you might be a little bit much. You might be just trying to get those things sorted. But I do think that it, it makes sense to sort of think about, like, to pay attention. Oh, what do I enjoy and what do I like? Where do I, na- where does my head naturally go? What do I think about? Do I think about the people and the processes or do I think about the code more? And those are very broad categories, right? That's not going to give you enough information, but it gives you at least a direction. And then I want to say the other thing too about there's a lot of um, perspectives, not only in tech, but in the world that when you, to move along and to get promoted, you have to be a manager. Now, orgs contribute to this as well as individuals in our societal view contribute to that view. But I also think that as someone becomes more of a senior, they are leaders even if they're not managing other people. And you know who you know who has spoken so eloquently about becoming a more senior IC is Kivi McMinn. 
good friend of mine, she has written a really great post about this. A couple other people have too, but she wrote a really good post sort of about what that's like and what her role is like. And I do think that leadership shows up in all different sorts of ways. And just because you want to maybe go to a IC path, (laughs) um, I'm using air quotes as if people can see me right now, but um, just because you don't want to manage people doesn't mean that your career is limited to just IC, pushing out the code. It doesn't mean that at all. I think it, it, it can, that leadership shows up in lots of different ways as you progress in your career. What about for those that are, like, say, a little further down, they're, they're getting into those kind of more leadership roles, but on a technical level, like, say, a tech lead type role, where now more of their time is spent, this is a larger percentage of their time that's spent not directly in the code, but helping navigate the project details, working with, you know, your clients or stakeholders and things like that, now, you know, making sure things are moving forward. And then it's like something I see repeated in where people, when they get move into that role, they really struggle. Like, ah, oh, if I could just spend some more time coding, I could help get these problems solved. Uh, but I feel like we're spending all my time in meetings and helping other people. Do you think we don't do a good enough job on explaining that to people earlier on? Or even if we do, do you think it's, it's like the, maybe it's, there's a little bit of optimism bias by people moving into those roles. They're like, oh, I, they have a perception of what it's going to be like. And then they're like, oh, this is very different. And how do you help those people move through that and realize that like being an IC, you know, an individual contributor, it's, it's very different now. And like, how do you find success on a day-to-day level when it takes longer to see the outcome for your involvement on those types of initiatives? Yeah, there's, that, that's a, there's a lot to unpack there, which is great. I love this question. Before I answer, Pet Qua has a really good book on becoming a tech lead, by the way, that talks a bit about this. I can't remember the name of it, but, you know, we can put that in show notes. And I think one of the things that he talks about in that book is that that whole idea, there's always this idea of like what a role is going to be and what it really is. Um, You know, that perceptions versus reality from uh, 500 Days of Summer, which I I love that. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but there's like reality, perception and reality. And we all have that, that we have to deal with that. And I do think that moving into a tech lead role, even if you are not officially managing people at that point, is an inflection point. It's a transition that's super different. And I think the hardest thing for us is to get our mindset around it. So it's like what I call it, you need to become a multiplier. And the way that you multiply is through people as a tech lead or any role at that level is through people. Even if you're not managing them, you still have to, It's and we have to make that switch between my value is delivering, shipping code versus my develop, my value is creating the team that ships that code or creating an environment or making the right, you know, sort of maybe architectural or high level decisions or smoothing the paths in the organization. I think that there's really a big mindset shift that needs to happen. You know, as I'm, as I was saying, there's a number of people that I've seen go into like struggle with that, that kind of phase and being like, okay, because I think there's that, that tendency also when you're in those types of situations where you become a tech lead or, and you're helping lead a project forward and then there's a maybe a fire or an issue within the project and there's a tendency to want to go in there and fix it and solve it yourself. Like like literally like an hour and a half ago, I was doing that myself and I'm the CEO and I, ha- I struggle with this still. It's, it's, and I don't think it's going to go away, but if there is like a certain like little 
I, th- I think I've acknowledged that there's like a bit of an endorphin rush when I help solve problems. Well, I do think that there's a difference. Can I just say something? There is the problems that as you move along in your career and you move more into leadership, again, leadership defined as like you could be a tech lead, an engineering manager, a VPE, VP of engineering, CTO. The, pro- the things that you deal with are they're complex in a different way. And they're more, they, they really deal with more org and people problems, which are thornier and tough. And so I totally get that impulse to like, let me go in and p- look at this piece of code because I can like push this piece of code and I can, there's a sense of accomplishment. So I think that there's a natural pull to it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just managing how much you do it and what the impact is. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you'll get rid of that impulse. <laughs> I think I, it's in a weird way. I think I, I like that immediate side of satisfaction of knowing that it's something that I did worked or fixed something. And a lot of times when you're navigating the world of working with people and processes and a lot of different stakeholders, things are slow to turn around. And quite often you end up feeling like, and maybe just in my own experience, but I would imagine a lot of organizations feel like the things that they, the things that they need to talk about people or talk with people like you, or maybe the things they're struggling with. And so it's probably not always uh, here's all the great things that are going on right now, and everything's great. I need to, you know, I, I definitely need a coach right now because just to, you know, help me keep doing all the amazing things that I'm doing right now. Maybe maybe you do have clients that are like nothing but positive things, but I would imagine there's always this the the the, the shortcomings or the the lack of my own experience. On how to navigate personnel issues or these complex project problems on a higher level, those always you're feeling like you're trying to like fumbling around and you get those 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 moments of feeling like imposter syndrome. It's a it's an interesting thing. So when you when I see it in my team members when they're in a leadership role and they're dealing with those sorts of things, there's a part of me that wants to go in and try to help fix the situation for them, rescue them, even though I need to kind of let them sit there, but also. Like there's always a fear that if I go in and meddle too much, they're not going to be happy. But if I don't do anything, then I left them to on their own to to flail around or something. So, what would you say to someone like that that's kind of navigating those types of internal dilemmas when it's like layers of providing support to your own lead, people within your organization to lead other people when there's multiple layers there? So, what I would say is the first thing to say, I want to say is that. Leadership is a complex, dynamic, moving target. You know, I mean, leadership, there's so much complexity to it. And the, the thing is that when I, invariably, when I, I talk a lot to new leaders, that's kind of my specialty. And when I talk to them, they always say, I'm surprised at how hard it is. It's so, it's so different than I thought I would have. I thought I'd have all this autonomy and I didn't expect how complex it is and the decisions and sometimes how the decisions are, you know, okay, bad and worse, you know, versus, you know, and how the team perceives that. And so I I think that that I have real compassion for, for, for leaders because there is, it is a complex, a dynamic and moving market uh, target and knowing when do I jump in and when do I not and how do I empower my team? I think that's the right question is sort of, and again, for me, I'm just someone who's, I'm pretty direct. I'm a coach. I now live in New York City, but but I, I'm pretty direct. I just ask people like, how am I doing on the support with you? And enough? Too much? Not enough. Where can I back off? And the people have said, too much there, too little here. Oh, got it. Great. So that and I also notice if I'm feeling uncomfortable, like if I'm like, do I feel like I'm meddling too much that to me, or if I repeat to something, like anytime you're repeating something in your head and say, am I meddled too much? Am I meddled too much? 
Am I getting too involved? That's a time to step back and say, oh, wait, do I need to look at that? You know, it's like observing like little tiny microscopic signs or patterns that are the entry point. We'll be back with our interview with Susan in just a moment. Hi, it's me, Robbie. I want to take a quick moment to say thank you for making time to listen to the Maintainable Software Podcast. If you're finding these conversations valuable, please consider sharing a link amongst your peers and a writing review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Also, do you know someone in the industry that I should be speaking with on Maintainable? Shoot me an email to Robbie with a Y at maintainable.fm. And now, back to our interview with Susan Bond. I want to talk a little bit and switch gears a little bit to talking about how developers that might be worrying if they're going to burn out in the near future on the way they're, the way things are going. Um, what sort of indicators or have you seen over the years kind of help identify that someone is kind of like getting towards close to that point in, in at the moment, whether it's at the current job or just in their career? Are there some, some common things you've seen over the years? Well, and it's super important too right now because of our environment. I think that there are so many more demands on us. Even if, even if you're working at home or you already have been working from home, there's just the, our environment. I just want to acknowledge that our environment is super uncertain right now. Everybody's operating in it, so I think more of us and maybe all of us are at risk for burnout. I don't mean to sound negative. <laughs> I'm actually quite a positive person, but but I, I, I say that because I don't want people to feel, I think a lot of times we take it on personally and I'm like, no, no, this is actually a thing happening right now. All of my leaders are talking about the situation that's going on and, and they're concerned about it. And I will tell you, I just did a survey. This is a little preview. I did a survey of leaders right now and what they're thinking about in 2020 and team burnout was one of the biggest things that they are concerned about. And I will tell you, it was the, the, the most popular answer. And one of the least popular answers was them worried about their own burnout. So that tells you where their attention is focused, but they are concerned about it. And, and so that tells me if leaders are seeing it, that developers themselves should be thinking, of, you know what I mean? Like, am I doing it? So I think the, some of the signs are checking out really people who start to like lose their interest, they're checking out. I, I will tell you one of the biggest ones too, is when someone is constantly that hyper, like hyper on, always on, or feels always on, that is um, that that is a very big sign, a, a risk factor for, for burnout, um, because it means they're not getting any relief. Because burnout isn't just about the number of hours we work, but it's like, how we hold it in our head, whether we take it with us. Are we constantly on our phone? Are we constantly thinking about it? Do we have any release valves? How much we feel, uh, how perfectionism plays in it, how autonomy plays in, into it. Results, and in this environment, maybe we can't get as many results because, I mean, listen, the financial environment, the market environment is just, who knows? Economists are saying, this is the weirdest recession, not recession ever, which then translates to the business environment, which then ultimately transmit translates to, to developers. So that's a long way of answering. I think those are a couple signs, like looking at always on or even checking out if they feel completely checked out. Those are signs. Do you have advice for those listening that might be thinking like, oh, that sounds a little bit like me right now? Are there things that they could be doing to kind of I know that not everybody needs the same thing, right? And so it's not like, well, 
I'm not saying like, you know, set close your laptop exactly at five o'clock every day. And then, you know, like whatever the, it's, I think it's probably harder for people to get a good sense of separation between work and life now. When I think that's, yes. there's been a lot of focus on work and life <laughs> balance. Like, and that's always, been, it's interesting because I think with the, the distributed model, with teams even prior to COVID there, that was always the one thing that I'm like, one of the reasons I really like having an office is that there's, I kind of leave my work there and try to go home and, and such. And so as someone that runs a company, and so there's, and I know there's people on my team that love working at home and so, and they're able to balance that. So I think it's, a, I know that it's different for everybody. How do you find like people are being successful at creating some more separation and at this point in time, given the uncertainty Worried about maybe their job security, even hopefully everybody still has a job at this point. But, you know, we know people have not been able to keep their jobs and a lot of people are out of work right now. And so for those that are do are employed right now and might be feeling some of those uh, concerns about maybe I'm going to be burning out. Maybe I am I already burnt out. I don't even know it, but I, but I don't have a choice to do anything different right now because what's my option is that can I take a break for a while? Is that even an option that I could do at my company? So I think that's a it's an interesting time period, I suppose, for people. I think it is. I, I, I'm going to tell a little story, a little anecdote, which is, you've probably heard it before, if you put a frog into a pot of boiling water, it hops out. If you put a frog into a pan of water and you, and you slowly turn up the heat, it simmers to death. Now that sounds terrible. I know I'm an animal lover, but I like that that sort of that example, that metaphor, because I think that's what often happens in burnout is we don't, uh, we're, we're, sim- we're slowly simmering and then all of a sudden we're like, oh crap, I'm boiled to death. And so what for me, why that story is important is because it really is about taking time to step back, building in tiny amounts of time, half hour a day just for you to let your mind roam or journal or reflect sort of get to the heart of what's happening for you and where are you really at. Other things too, there's other apps too, Allobud, and there's another one, and I can't think of it off the top of my head, that have you check in. How am I doing right now? How am I doing right now? And those are great for, for those who like data, like I do too. I don't use those, but I like to write down like, how am I feeling today? And that can maybe help you collect data and say, oh wait, I've had five days where I often don't feel I'm feeling uncertain or I'm feeling overwhelmed. Oh, what's that about? So any way to sort of bring your awareness, slow, take a time, even five minutes, doesn't have to be long amounts of times because when we're the boiled frog, we often feel like we can't take even a minute. You know what I mean? When we're in the phase of like working all the time and we don't have that separation. So. I think that's some really good advice there for folks listening. I want to switch over to a completely different type of topic that um, I wanted to get into. A little bit about self-promotion, I suppose. Um, I know you've worked with leaders that are, you know, writers, you know, conference speakers, podcasters, experts in their in their field. And so, for those listening, that are like, I don't know that I'm capable of doing that, or maybe I, maybe later on in my career, maybe they're a junior person in in, in this industry, and they're they're feeling intimidated about being another voice to write a blog post about some topic. Do you have some advice for them on how they could, a different perspective? Should they be waiting until later on when they know everything, they feel like they know everything? Even though no. I feel like that's like a, I don't know that I ever <laughs> feel like you know everything, but. No, I don't think they should wait. I mean, for me, you know, 
it is interesting and that whole self-promotion thing which has there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there that I won't around the tech industry and perceptions around self-promotion and marketing and thought leaders however what I will say is that I don't think people should wait. And I I think putting it out there and just practicing it for yourself and because one, what it does is it reinforces as we know, right? It reinforces what you know. If you're writing a blog post, you're maybe teaching something about something to someone, even if it's something you just learned, there's going to be somebody else who doesn't know it and it might be helpful to them. And it's helpful for you to learn. So, right, when we when we teach other people, that's how we, and I know you know this, like when we teach other people, we understand something better. Um, and I think small, easy ways to put it out there, don't, you know, hold it in a small way. Don't don't hold it as big, big self-promotion. But I think putting your ideas out there will, one, get you more comfortable on top of helping you learn things and make it feel a little less scary, you know, to, to even small things like tweet, you know, little tweets, play around with tweets. You know, I'm always throwing stuff out there. Um, but I think it, it's important, too, because because in this environment, employers do look at that. They, they look at things like social media or blog. And it's not that you have to have a big blog or social media, but they do look at it. I'm going to tell you right now, I know hiring managers and HR, they look, they look for a social media profile, right? Like, what do you do? You you Google somebody and you want to see what they have to say because it gives you a sense of their personality. So I think that it helps just all sorts of career things, even if you don't want to become again, air quotes, a thought leader. I think it's interesting because I think there's the, uh, definitely, you know, as someone that's hired a number of people over the years, it's something we look at and there's like interesting balance of like, I don't want to feel like I'm being invasive of their private life. Right. And so and so I think that's always something that people can kind of, there's definitely people that I've hired that you couldn't find anything about them online, you know, and you're like, okay, that's, that's not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just, okay, they, they want to keep their life private online. And, but then you have other people that are very much, very open about sharing about their technology, how they're learning about things and they're teaching other people things. And so if the, you do have an inclination to share and uh, write articles or tweet about technical things, sometimes that could be a really good value add for the organization that's uh, that's considering bringing you in because not everybody has that perspective and organizations kind of need, you know, more than just like the marketing department to be out there, not necessarily always being a, have to be a representative of the organization, but at least it is, a, it is an extra value add. Oh, this person can teach other people. They might be really good about documenting things internally for us or teaching their peers how to do things. And those are, how do you call that stuff out in, in, when you're in your, when you're applying for a job. So I would always recommend people try to be, to share that stuff. And, um, and if, if anything, you almost even just include that stuff in your cover letter. If you, if you can, like, here's some references and things that I've, I've written because they're going to look anyways. They do. They do look, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think that, I think that's right. I mean, listen, you know, that line about privacy and how much, you know, it is a tricky thing for companies. I just have to be honest about that. I think it's tricky and, and, I do think about that, like, how are people going to perceive me and what I say and all of that. But I do, I don't think, even if you do small things, I think there's lots of ways, especially in technology, where you can talk about something that can show off your expertise or show your perspective and the way you solve problems can be really useful. Hi there. Do you know someone who might be looking for assistance with their Ruby on Rails application? Planet Argon would love to meet them. We're offering a $1,000 referral bonus. Send someone our way, and if they sign up for services with Planet Argon, we'll give them a $1,000 discount. 
And in return, you'll get a check for $1,000 in the mail, just for knowing the right person. Hop on over to planetargon.com referrals for more information and to refer someone our way. That's planetargon.com referrals. Thanks. One more quick topic with you would be related to that dynamic between, uh, let's say, software engineers and their engineering manager relationship. So do you have advice for people that are going into their next one-on-one if they're feeling like they've, they've felt a little stagnant? Some, some good ways to approach a topic about that with their, their manager to see if they can get some changes happening within the organization, whether that be dealing with like, hey, there's these other projects I'm really interested in working on. I know it's not a priority right now, but how do I... How could we find time and um, budget to, to to invest some time there for my own, pique my own curiosity and to help move the team forward? I really hope they do. But they sometimes it gets missed. Sometimes we get super like, you know, we can get into like the status report, you know, but hopefully you're having those conversations and the manager is bringing up those things from time to at least from time to time. I mean, I think that. I think first of it's like feeling comfortable and knowing that it is absolutely okay and right because sometimes do manager managers do step over that and they forget to ask those deeper questions about career satisfaction and you know mastery and where you want to go. So feel comfortable. First of all, I want to tell people feel comfortable. It's absolutely appropriate. I I would focus for me the advice is focus on what you want to learn. Sometimes people get a little focused on I want to be on this project. I want that. So chop her up and set, because then what happens is if maybe the manager can't put you on that project for something, then that's not a way they can't win them. They can't help you. So I would chop her up and think about, well, what are the things I'm interested in? I want, you know, more complex systems, or I'm interested in this programming in this language or, you know, those kinds of things, the intersection between this and that, rather than being too specific about, like, I think a lot of times the mistake people make is they make almost what come across as demands rather than saying, here are the kinds of situations and kinds of skills or environments I want to grow in. And then that way that it gives the manager a chance to win. And then, oh, okay, let me think about, and it gives them more options to think about like, okay, where can I, where can we offer opportunities for you to do that? One of the things you, you mentioned at the start of responding to that last question was uh, uh, status updates. Do you believe those are even an appropriate thing to have in a one-on-one for like a project status? Uh, I mean, I personally shy away from them very strongly. I'm not saying there's no role for them, but I I do think that we have to, and this is really to managers and leaders, we have to think about what's the right medium for this message, right? Is this a Slack thing? Is this an email thing? Is this a, you know, a one-on-one thing? What, what is this? And I don't know that status reports, do I think sometimes we have to talk about a project, but we have, because we have to talk about something that's more thorny, right? So if we're going to be talking about tangible things, which is perfectly fine, we want to make sure it's not, well, this project is fine. We're going along here. There should be another mode. So often what I'll do is I'll have my, we have, I'll have my folks when I do one-on-ones send me an update beforehand, give me a status update, send it to me by email or Slack message, whatever you want. And then I can look through and, and, and I know what's going on for you. And then we can talk about the more important high value items. Yeah. So I, the recommendation there isn't probably to start your one-on-one with how is Project X going? <laughs> right. 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 
Right, because it, because that that can be done through another mode. What you want to get at is the thorny stuff, the hard, you know, the hard conversation, the thing that maybe you're stepping over, or the thing that where you can, the two of you can pair on something to try to solve a problem. I know that you're big on asking big questions. Uh, do you have some go-to questions that you often sh- advise? people on maybe asking to help kick off some interesting conversations or if they're say someone that you're in a one-on-one and the uh, the other person in in that conversation is kind of tiptoeing around a problem that they're trying to figure out like how to bring up or really dig into or or maybe even come across just needing to vent as a way for rather than having a manager feel like they need to solve the problem but maybe to spark uh to get the person to kind of think about their own ways of approaching them I think the, the big thing is to ask the questions. I think a lot of times we go to telling versus asking. So sometimes I'll even say, hey, I, I noticed X, Y, or Z. I'd love to hear more about that. Or I'd love to know what, what do you make of that? Um, so, you know, I'll just sit, I might make an observation, but make sure I'm not going to an assumption. Um, and so I'll just ask really open-ended questions about, and sometimes I'm even what do you think is next for you? What do you want your next challenge to be? Because sometimes there can be information that, that is included in there. And that, again, it depends. Some people, some people it's harder. They don't, they're just not as open or they're scared or whatever happens. But I, I think the biggest part of that is asking versus telling and making sure we're not making judgments. You know what I mean? It's like observation versus judgment. They're very different things. It's easy to go there, I think, and it's important for everybody to be probably reflect on that a bit. All right, I have a couple of quick last questions for you, and you know we've we've dug up, we've dug into a lot of different areas into people managing other people, growing in their career, promoting themselves or not, um, navigating COVID and burnout. So I, I, I'm assuming you're a big reader. I am. <laughs> Do you have a non-software development related book that you find yourself recommending to people a lot in our industry? Yep. The one book I recommend over and over again is Transitions by William Bridges. And it's an old book. Like it's it's like from like 1980, but it is a classic evergreen sort of book. And it talks about, it really explains transitions, not just changes. And I'll really quickly say, we think like ending and then new beginning, but there's actually this this middle point and there's like this transition zone that we have to work through that's really awkward and uncomfortable and that's the benefit the new they call it the neutral zone and that book is amazing I, that book i recommend to everybody awesome i'll definitely include links to that in the show notes and where can listeners best follow your thoughts on let's say maybe not so much software development online but <laughs> the tech industry and and uh leadership online I'm on Twitter um, at Susan Bond, S-U-Z-A-N-B-O-N-D. I'm like, if you just Google Susan Bond, I'm everywhere with that spelling. I'm, I'm consistent. And then that's my, also my website is my name. And then I also write a lot on Medium these days as well. well excellent. Well, it's been such a delight having you on Maintainable, Susan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Oh, 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 oh.